of you have ever watched the show Antiques Roadshow? How many of you are addicted to the show Antiques Roadshow? Okay, my wife used to be really into this. And if you don't know what Antiques Roadshow is, you basically, you, these people, they come to town and you bring them all your old stuff. Most people find out their stuff is junk. <laughs> but then there, there are a few that, that there's real value in what they have. And they're the ones who make it on the show. And so they will, you know, have this up here and they'll have the expert. And the expert will say, you know, this is, this is you know, such and such. And it's used for this. And, and here's the history behind it. And then, of course, what everybody wants to know, what is it worth? Right? What is this all worth? And just last week, how many saw last week's show? Anybody? Okay, last week's show, you may have seen, this guy brought in a 1971 Rolex Oyster uh, Chromograph. I think that's right. Cosmograph. Cosmograph. Something like that. It's a Rolex. Uh, this guy, he purchased it for $345 when he was in the service, and he was stationed over in Thailand, and this was between 1973 and 1975. And so he, bought, he buys this thing, really hardly ever wears it, and then he puts it into a safety deposit box, and it just stayed there for 30 to 40 years. And so he brings this thing. And because he had the original papers, this watch that he bought for $345, it is now worth $2,000. Ah, but there's more. Because this watch was very similar to the one that Paul Newman wore in this film in 1970. This watch is now worth between $150,000 to $200,000. I wish Paul Newman would wear some of my stuff, right? <laughs> but there was more. Because those that were made in that time, there were very few that were made with, and it actually put the name Oyster on the watch that made it even rarer. It's now worth $400,000. But there's more. Because it's in mint condition. This thing's never been really used. The foil's still on it. I mean, this thing, and so what they said was, this guy said, he said that it is valued at auction between $500,000 to $700,000. He bought it for $345, which he said about that, at that time was about a month's pay for a serviceman. And so all of these things, we see it gives it this great value, right? And so here in our text this morning, we are given a classic Markin sandwich. And I love Mark sandwiches. They're delicious, right? Because it, what it does, if you haven't been in here before and we've talked about these sandwiches, there is a narrative that Mark begins, but he inserts another narrative in between it. So he starts off with the chief priests are wanting to plot to kill Jesus. Jesus is going to, I mean, Judas at the bottom, he's going to provide the answer for the chief priests. We'll see all of that this morning. But in between that, we learn about this woman, and she has come and to prepare Jesus for burial. And what happens in these sandwiches is it gives this third great point that is unspoken. 
And it's greater than all the stories by themselves. And really what this, this text is going to do for us, and putting it in this way, it's, it's pointed back at us to ask us, what do we believe Jesus is worth? What do you believe Jesus is truly worth to you? So we begin in verses 1 and 2. We're in chapter 14. Man, we are, we are coming down the stretch, right? So he says, he says, It was now two days before Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to arrest him by stealth and kill him. For they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar of the people. So the chief priests and the scribes these are the leaders of the Sanhedrin. I know that's, that doesn't mean as much to us today, but basically this is an ancient Jewish court system for uh, politics and religion and these judicial functions. The problem is that this group of people, the Sanhedrin, these chief priests and scribes, they don't act like people of justice. In fact, everything about what is said that we just read here, it just oozes with this with just deception and, and this cloak and dagger kind of stuff. They demonstrated why Jesus pronounced judgment on the temple. These are the people who are looking over the temple. And we see why Jesus says this thing has got to drop. And why a new regime has to rise up um, as well. So the very thing that they're saying here that they want to prevent is, is going to backfire on them because that's exactly what's going to happen because of the bottom story. And because of that, what we're going to find is that it's going to transform Passover in a way that they had really hoped that it never would have been transformed. It's, it's really going to be amazing. And so I want us to... Um, pick up our reading for the second part of the sandwich, the inner stuff. And it says, and beginning in verse 3, it says, And while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, Why was the oil wasted? like that for the ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor and they scolded her but Jesus said leave her alone why do you trouble her she has done a beautiful thing to me for you always have the poor with you and whenever you want you can do good for them but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, whenever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Wow. This woman is the center of the Mark and Sandwich. She stands in contrast to the religious leaders and she will stand in contrast to Judas as well. 
She is not one who's trying to plot against Jesus. She's one who wants to show love for Jesus. The disciples are angry. And, and the word there, we talked about it in class, it's a word, they're indignant. In other words, they felt like she had done something wrong. And, and because they looked at this and they said, you know, this perfume, this is, this is extravagant stuff. It was worth 300 denarii. Now, one thing we learn about the disciples, they don't always get things, but they're good at math, <laughs> right? If you remember, uh, and, and by the way, a denarii is a, it's, it's a, uh, a day's wage for a day laborer. So this is almost the equivalent of a year's worth of day labor for an individual. But if you remember back in chapter 6, Jesus said, okay, here's these 5,000 men not including women and children. He said, I want you to go out and, and I want you to get them something to eat. And they got out their calculators or abacuses or whatever they used. And they said, well, it would take 200 denarii to feed that many people. And here this woman doesn't have 200 denarii that would feed 5,000 men and, and whatever women and children are there. She has 300 denarii. And they looked at this and they said, what a waste. They felt like she just took 300 denarii, all this money that could have fed thousands of people, and she just poured it down the drain. And some of you may be thinking, well, I kind of get it. I kind of get it. Because aren't we told to take care of the poor? And, and I mean, you know, this could have fed thousands of people, and, and this is just like a one-time use. Jesus' ministry is reaching a climax, folks. The poor can wait. The poor can wait because something more crucial is here in its place. Rebuking this woman, by doing that, they're actually demeaning Jesus because they're saying he's not worth this expensive oil that's used in this anointing of Jesus. If they, she would have given some of it, I mean, that would have been thought of as like, wow, that's pretty major. This stuff's expensive, even to pour out most of it. And so Jesus stops them. And the reason is because there's something about this woman and what she does that they don't see. And one of the things is, she, she says... He says, she has done a beautiful thing. That's the way it's put in the English Standard Version. I love that. She's done a beautiful thing. It means a, a beautiful work, a beautiful deed or act. Because she's, she not only has poured this upon Jesus, did you notice it says that she broke the alabaster flask? In other words, it was a complete sacrifice. She can't even use this, this flask, which may have been an heirloom. It's, it's a complete sacrifice. What she's done for me, what she's doing here, it's beautiful. And the other thing that he says about her is she has done what she could. And you may look at this and you say, you know, that sounds so familiar. And it's supposed to. Mark is, is trying to draw our minds back to something that happened with the poor widow. Remember her? And it's the same wordage in uh, almost the same in a lot of ways she here's this woman she has done what she could and this poor woman gave out of her poverty she gave everything she had and 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 yet 
in one sense, what Mark is doing here and putting these two women, we're supposed to remember them, they're very different. One gave, in our equivalents, to two pennies. This woman, she, she threw out about $30,000. And yet, Jesus looks at this, and he sees it from the perspective of the heart. Because it's the heart and our intent and our motive is what makes it useful in the kingdom of God. It's, it's not, and what that means is that even two, be, two pennies that someone gives who is poor, he says, it's meaningful. It means someone who gives such extravagances as $30,000 that it doesn't go to waste. In placing himself above the poor, Jesus is elevating himself above a commandment that he had just given them in the last chapter. You remember it? Love your neighbor as yourself. And you're like, what is Jesus doing? I mean, look, he says, he gave us two commands. And the reason is because Jesus is the first command. <laughs> he is the son of God. And this woman has poured out her heart, her soul, her mind, her strength. In giving her complete self to Jesus. The poor widow, <clears throat> she threw everything she had into the temple treasury. This woman throws out everything she has on Jesus. And both of these women are examples of those who held nothing back for Jesus. Their names have been lost. We don't know either one of their names. But we know their deeds. And, and a third thing I want to see that Jesus says is that she anointed his body for burial. These disciples are not getting it. Jesus has said all along the way, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be persecuted, and I'm going to die. And they don't seem to get it. They just don't seem to get it. It's another contrast that's being made between her and the disciples who have been following Jesus Jesus is going to be tried. He's going to be killed as a criminal. This woman's anointing saved him this shame of a criminal's death. Because a criminal who's killed, they're just either thrown out or, or just thrown into a tomb. There is no anointing that happens. And we don't know of any anointing that happened with Jesus' burial after he dies. We just know he's put into a tomb. Later on, few days later, that's when someone comes with spices and ointments. But she has anointed him. She's giving him a respectable death and burial. Jesus is going to tie this act here that she has poured out all of this on his head of what's going to be said next week. And it's an intention as well that this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Neither one of these are a waste. The woman pouring out all that she had in that bottle and pouring it upon Jesus, it was not a waste. And Jesus pouring out his blood on a cross for us was not a waste because we all need saving. And notice what it says here. I love this. It says... Um, that she's going to be connected to the good news that's going to be preached to the world. Did you catch this? 
Folks, this is not a tragedy. This is what it's trying to say. This is not a tragedy. It's good news. And, and, and it's going to be preached to the world. His death is not the end. She is a part of the gospel heard around the world. <laughs> right? And you think about that for a moment, and we think about the things that, that we're motivated to do for Jesus and, and our, our works and our, our actions and our deeds and these kinds of things. And no one should look at that and say, you know, mine's really insignificant when it comes to... Because look at the, look at the woman with the two pennies. No one should look and say, you know what, uh, maybe, you know, a lot of people think that this was not a wise decision. Maybe I wasted... Um, you know, and what I've done here, and it could have been used for a better thing. Listen, I want you to think about this for a moment, because what it was was her motives. Both of the women, their motives, their intents. And, and, and that's what was being used. And we need to understand that there are things that we do. There are good deeds that we do, and that we're motivated to do those things that has a significance that we may not even understand right now. Do you think, it, do you think when she did this, she thought, oh, I am so going to get in those gospel stories? You know, I bet everybody's going to hear about me. I can just tell you that right now. No, no, she just loved Jesus. And she just does this out of loving kindness. And it's a, a mistake to think that our sacrificial devotion to Christ is wasteful, that it's insignificant. Who knows how God is going to use it? And it's wrong for us to judge other people in what they do. It's wrong for us to, to think, you know, who to, you know, well, if it would have been me, I would have done it this way. Who are we to make those judgments of the intent of the hearts? Only one. Only one. And for those who have wondered about doing something, you've wondered about doing something extravagant for Jesus, don't let people rain on your parade. I'm serious. Don't let people make you feel like, well, you should be, you know, well, it'd be better if you did. Or, you know, I think you need to, you need to pull it back some here. This woman acted out of the fullness of her heart, and it seemed strange to everybody else. But she wasn't doing it for everybody else. Not everyone is called to pour out expensive perfume over the head of Jesus. But if that is what God motivates you to do, then the rest of us should respect that. No matter how crazy it seems of what they're doing in this worship and devotion to God. Okay, let's just get to the bottom of the sandwich here. Verses 10 and 11. And Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest. Did you see that? They didn't come to him. He goes to them in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is the final part of that Markin sandwich. The chief priests and the scribes are looking for a way to uh, use stealth and deception in order to arrest and kill Jesus. It just so happens Judas says, I got a plan for you. He just and it's all, you, know, you can almost hear the chief priest going, oh, this, this must be of God. This has got to be God's providence. Man, look at this. It just stepped right into us. 
the malicious scheming against Jesus, it surrounds the act of this woman's sacrificial love. They want to plot, they want to kill, they want to murder, they want to use deception, they want to show disloyalty, and the woman is here to serve Jesus. She's there to just anoint him and to love him in any way and in every way that she possibly can. You see that? And if Judas, who was one of the twelve, could do this, then we have to ask the question, and I believe this is the question Mark wants us to ask, then why not us? Why can't we do the same thing? Being around Jesus did not guarantee faithfulness. Having an intimate knowledge of Jesus more than most, like Judas, it did not guarantee his commitment to Jesus. Surrounding ourselves with Jesus' things doesn't guarantee anything. Most people are more interested in knowing why Judas betrayed Jesus than they were why the woman poured out all that expensive oil on Jesus. You ever thought about that? I've had a lot of people, why do you think Judas did that? I've never had anyone say, why do you think that woman did that? There's just something about all of this. This woman's devotion, folks, it's, it's a contrast. There's a contrast that's happening with Judas and with this woman. And one of the things is neither one of them and their deeds are forgotten. Neither one of them. They're both, he said, they both are going to be remembered, right? Judas, he looked for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And this woman, she looked for an opportunity to love Jesus. And then we have another contrast, and a lot of people just don't pick it up, but folks, it's all throughout Mark, and it's a contrast between men and women, in that women play a very important role in Mark's gospel. Some are models of discipleship, some play prominent roles, and some are given the highest of praise. You have the woman who has the hemorrhage of blood, and she is an example of faith that Jairus, who was a synagogue leader, was to have. If you look back at chapter 5, you'll see that. That the Seraphonician woman in chapter 7, she became the example of faith that was supposed to be for all those who were considered outsiders among God's people. The poor widow and this woman, they are contrast, heavy contrast of men. For one, we have the widow and here she gives her last two mites, and it's in contrast to the scribes who are devouring widows' houses. In our text, we have this woman who pours out, you know, a year's worth of oil uh, as far as, as money goes. And here's Judas, and he's betraying Jesus for whatever money he can get out of it. And all along the way, we find in Mark this insider-outsider. We've mentioned this before, and we really see it here. Because once again, we see that they are on the outside of Jerusalem in Bethany. 
we see that they are at the home of Simon the leper. We don't even know who he is. It just tells us he was a leper. Maybe Jesus healed him. But I think it's more significant that he is associated with something that was cast out of Jewish society. We, we know that, that Judas was named Simon the leper. They were given nothing else except he's a leper. We don't even know if Jesus healed him or whatever it is. But she's not even named because she's considered an outsider. And then, of course, we've seen the woman and the man. And women were considered outsiders. The men were the insiders. And what you're saying, well, what does all of this mean? It's exactly what Jesus has been trying to teach them all along. Who is the kingdom of God for? The last. The least. The last will be first, and the first will be last. What is Jesus worth to you? That's where we come to. Look at the story. Judas would say, Jesus, he's worth 30 pieces of silver. You say, ah, I'd never do that. Look in your business dealings. Look in how you deal with people. Do you ever, you know, you're always trying to get that little extra money. You're all, you know, if, if I can deceive in some way, then that's, that's your silver. And for some people, it's not money. It's doing whatever you have to do or can do in order to be popular. And it's not just for those teenagers it's also for the those of us who you know in our jobs or whether it be you know in our community or whatever it may be and you know what listen I, i'm you know what i'll i'll do this but um um but i may have to deny my faith or i may have to de- i would never deny my faith but I, but i'm not going to be boisterous about it i'm not going to really i'm going to hide in my faith then that's your silver and then you have these disciples, and, and these disciples, they look at this $30,000 that this woman has in oil and pours out, and, and they look at it, and they may not say, well, I think Jesus is worth 30 pieces of silver, but what they would say is, I don't think he's worth $30,000 of this expensive perfume. And, and in other words, there's some kind of limitation that's been placed on it. And we can do the same thing. And for some people, it's like, okay, my limit is 10%. That's it, right? I mean, that's, that's the biblical thing here. So there's my limit. So for some people, it's not even 10%. But you know what? That's, that's it. I, I can't go past that. Everything else is for me. Or, or maybe your limitation is, all right, look, I'm here on Sunday. I mean, that should be enough. The rest of my week is me. It's all about me. It's all about what I want to do and how I want to live and everything else. But I'm here, and this is, this is my limitation. This is what Jesus is worth to me. It's one Sunday morning. For this woman, Jesus was worth everything. Everything and pouring out to the suffering Savior. Imagine pouring out your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. To the Son of God. And when you're that person, the contrast is here. You just can't wait to find an opportunity to do something for Jesus. It's not a duty. It's just like, I just, I just look for something. It, he's worth more than my job if, if it comes down to where I have to make a decision about my faith and my job. But my G, listen, he, Jesus is everything to me. 
it's, it's worth more than lifelong friends if they feel like, you know what, um, you know, I'm not real sure about this life you live in Jesus, if you're going to kind of hang with us or then, it's, I mean, listen, if you're sold out for Jesus, you pour it all out for him. This is easy stuff. It's just, I, I'm here for Jesus. This is, he's my number one. You may, well, you may need to pour certain things out of your life in order to pour, pour out yourself to Jesus because your life is filled with so much other stuff. You know what I mean? And here we are, we're in our 90 days of prayer. And I'm not going to ask people to raise their hand. How many of you are doing it? I'm not going to ask you to do that because this is something that you have to look into Mark and this sandwich and ask yourself some very serious questions. And if you come by the end of the day or the end of the week and you say, you know what, it's just been a rough week. And, and I get rough weeks. I really do. But you get to the end and say, you know what, I just didn't have time. You need to pour something out of your life. You really do. And it's not just 90 days. It should be something as to who we are in sitting with Jesus and, and just really contemplating what God has to say for us and loving him and, and just looking out for these ways that we can serve Jesus. I've known people who've not only poured out the expensive oil, but they've broken the alabaster box. I know a preacher in Tennessee, he, he's got several PhDs in, in is a doctor in science. He's brilliant. He, he, could, he was making lots of money and could be making lots and lots and lots of money, but he's preaching because he, he broke that alabaster box. I've known missionaries, people who left their culture, they've left their families because they, they're just pouring it out and they love people. And, and they, they don't just pour something out. They break the alabaster box. And we could go around and I could talk about other things outside of just ministry things. And I could show you other examples of these. But that's not what this lesson's about. This lesson is about you looking into it and looking back at you. And you asking the question, what is Jesus really worth to me? What is he worth to you? That's the question for the day. And I can't answer that question for you any more than those disciples could answer, you know, for why this woman was doing what she did. But it's here in front of us right now. And you may need prayers about it. You may be ready to commit your life to Christ, something that you've never done before in your life. Or it may be something you want to talk about. It may be something that, you know what, this is between you and God and you need to get some things worked out. Or it may be something that's happening in your home or whatever. But you need to ask yourself, what is Jesus worth to me? And we all have to answer that question individually. If we can help you in any way, come as together we stand and as we sing.